Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. So I'm here with Ryan Fitzpatrick, my uh, co-creator you know, creator of the 95 Books Reading Challenge. And we're here again to talk about the books you've read. Uh, I've read 55 books so far this year. Uh, so we're sitting in, what's this, May 6th as we're recording this? Yeah. May 6th. I can't say the word 6th properly. So I like to just say May 6th. <laughs> anyway, yeah. this is May 6th. I've read 55 books so far uh, this year. So I'm, you know jumping ahead faster than most years usually uh, yeah where are you at, I, I, i'm i'm currently scrambling to look at my number because <laughs> i didn't write it down uh i i've i read 54 so, so i just read there you 54 so we are right up there with the, we're pretty much even this year we me and ryan do a competition yeah. we have a competition of it which is that whoever reads more books in the year has to buy the other sushi although the last few years we haven't been in the same city long enough to get sushi but i'm hoping to make it to toronto <laughs> this fall um, okay. So we'll have to like tally up like who owes who sushi at this point. But well, I've got I a book like... out this fall, so I, in theory I yeah. should be in Toronto for that. I'm going to talk to a coach house on Monday or Tuesday actually. I was just emailing with them to you can get coach house get doing. coach house to pay pay for the sushi. <laughs> um. I I don't think that's the contest, but uh, I've I've got to pay for the sushi. <laughs> if I lost, if I won, then um, then you pay for the sushi. If I lost, you know, I, I can't hook coach house for that. <laughs> is the accounting and CRA won't let me it'll be like a tax nightmare <laughs> you know I go to try to write it off whatever but um, anyway so we, we're kind of even then with books Ryan this the, the way that we did this last time we kind of liked so we thought we'd do it again we'll each just talk about it a little bit about some of the books we uh, liked best or just thought were most interesting for whatever reason that we've read out of the not all 55 but just a couple of them and then we're going to focus uh we both read the same book uh which we're going to talk about in a bit more you know length or detail which this uh time is ryan picked uh nikki reimer's uh, poetry book my heart is a rose manhattan which i was already planning to read anyway so we uh, we both kind of just decided on that one um although we've uh, read i'm sure a couple other books in common uh by this point yeah uh, anyway you let's just dive right into your kind of you know faves or just most interesting things you s- seen of late what's your reading looking like lately uh i kind of dropped off a little bit the last month so uh it's been a little little lighter than it was like the last time we recorded but whatever um so I want to I want to talk about a couple, but before I did that, I wanted to shout out uh, Kayla Zaga's Dunk Tank, which is the last most recent book I've read. Uh, and I, I don't really I don't want to go into it unless you want to go into it. We but could. I, I, I read say, that like, one too. I think like and I I don't. Well, have I, I posted on Twitter. Yeah, I posted on Twitter like immediately after I read it that like I think like like every other poet should read this book and just be embarrassed by their own writing because this book is just like. Uh, on the level of the image and on the level of the line, just extremely well crafted. And like I read it and I was fucking embarrassed by my own writing a little bit. And so, so get get to it, get to it, other writers. Feel feel the embarrassment. 
Yeah, that um, book's called Dunk Tank. There's a great line in that, or part of that book where um, she says, one of the poems read, one of the later poems, which is a, a, this very long one, which is probably the highlight for me. I forget the name of it, though. But it, it's, it has one moment where she, uh, she says, um, or she writes, what's the rent like in my own poem? Do I get a discount <laughs> for it being so goddamn haunted? <laughs> I just think that's mm. this brilliant uh, set of moves, you know, like from line to line. Yeah, I really like. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about. That's ev- every fucking line in that in this book, every line in this book is that line. I I've been thinking about that way of moving line, like from line to line, a lot because I've been editing this yeah. poetry book of my own that's coming out this fall, and that's something I. Uh, I noticed a lot in, I mean, I've always noticed that in poems and like that ever since, you know, like take creative writing classes, Dennis Cooley and yeah. back in the day and everything. Like one of his big things was always, you should think about like going from this line to that line. Um, like what's this, what do people expect? And then what do you give them? Uh, and yeah. almost like that joke structure, you know, that we are often talking about. And I really like, um, poets that do that effectively uh, in a really kind yeah. of interesting and kind of twisty way like i like those kind of twists so i thought that book was really impressive in that way for sure uh, uh what else uh, did you like that you okay read, so or wanted to talk more so about i spent i spent a lot of time with this book by Saidiya hartman called uh, Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments Intimate Histories of Social Upheaval and i know Saidiya hartman as a central figure in black studies. And I had read um, one of her previous books called Scenes of Subjection, which is like a, just a straight-up academic book. It's like, like fucking brilliant. Um, and so, like, I came to this one knowing, knowing, like, knowing it was coming out, and it was getting a lot of attention specifically uh, from, like, like, a lot of black writers and artists in Toronto and also, like, a lot of black studies folks in general. And so... I picked it up thinking it was going to be um, an academic, more academic thing like this other book I had read of hers. And it's not. And so par- partly what I, one of the reasons I want to gesture, gesture towards this book, like other than the fact that it's like an excellent read, uh, is the way that formally it, um, it works through uh, a lot of like archival research but uses the... The form of the form of, I would say the form of the novel, but it uses like a narrative, like a narrative form to like to get this uh, archival research across. Um, and I, um, in, when I when I started, I was so surprised that I tweeted out like kind of kind of half jokingly, like, am, "Am I being tricked into reading a novel by hmm. by Saidia Hartman and uh, the?" Uh, Christina Sharp, who's a really notable black studies scholar, chastised me with single word no. Um, which she's right because to say is this just a novel that sounds dismissive, but yeah. also like my thinking was there's that moment in Karl Marx's Capital where one of his chapters switches from this kind of like switches from like his like dialectic argument and like all these kind of numbers to like he just turned the book turns for like. 20 or 30 pages into a fucking Dickens novel. Hmm. And to me, this this book is just that. 
Um, Baudrillard does that and, in one um, of his books, the, in Fatal Strategies. Yeah. There's a great moment where Baudrillard just starts get, throwing science fiction plots at you. It's like, what if you know? Yeah. <laughs> I forget the exact one, but this is brilliant, weird science fiction plot. Um, and he just like throws it out. Dilys Guitari do it too with horror stories. Like here's a horror story. All of a sudden, you know, I, yeah. And and Freud, interestingly, uh, used to like. I always think of Freud because he, he was a big fan of mystery novels, and yeah. in, in many ways structured his theoretical books at, with cliffhangers. Yeah, like if you read um, Beyond the Pleasure Principle, uh, it actually has cliffhangers. That book. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I haven't seen it so in modern I, so stuff. I, yeah. Well, I think this this book is doing that, and the other book I'm going to mention, like, is is doing I think a variation on it. Um, so, but I thought I'd I thought I'd read what I think is the thesis of uh, of this idea Hartman book. It's in uh, an essay slash narrative called "An Atlas of the Wayward," which is about uh, W. E. B. Du Bois and like this uh, anthropological sociological research that he he was doing. And there's a point where where Hartman writes in a novel he possessed the ability to transform a ruined girl who grew up in a brothel into a heroine, but achieving the same in a sociological study proved nearly impossible. Literature was better able to grapple with the role of chance in human action and to illuminate the possibility and the promise of the errant path. So I think that's the thesis statement for this 400-page book. It's this question about like what, what can't like a standard academic study do that literature can do better, uh, that explains why she's decided to take this like different formal approach. And so like the other the other book I wanted to talk about is um, that I think is doing something similar, but maybe from the reverse direction is uh, Slash by Jeanette Armstrong, which is like super canonical, although canonical in that way where like if you're a grad student in Canlet, you've probably maybe you've read it, but if you're but it's it's not like popular reading or anything. I think the book's out of print, uh, but it's like mid '80s. Um, it's a, it's a novel about this character uh, Tommy Kalasket, or Slash as he's sometimes called in the book, and um, it's kind of a, a like I was gonna say it's like a building building's roman, but like it's it's kind of from like from the beginning of his life to like middle age kind of. Hmm. Um, but it kind of like tracks him as he, as he's like growing up, um, growing up in BC with like he's Okanagan, the character's Okanagan, um, and um, but as he grows up, he becomes he he becomes an activist. He gets involved with the Air, American Indian movement. So it's like covering all this like historical ground at the same time. It's telling the story of how he negotiates it. And the reason why it was interesting to read this, like at the same time as this idea Hartman, it is this is a book that presents itself as a novel, but it keeps putting this character Tommy in these situations where, like, he's kind of like just listening to people have arguments around him. So it's like almost uh, it's almost like Brechtian in the way that, like, like you're at, you you as reader is put in the kind of position of listener where Tommy is also the position of listener. And you have to kind of suss out what the argument of the historical moment was. So it's like it's doing theory in a different way through this kind of like um, through this mechanism of like of playing the argument out in front of you, uh, which I thought was which I thought was really interesting. 
I want to go back to both these books because I feel like I haven't done them justice in talking about them like this. But um, they're both both really like excellent, and um, and using and using form using form or using narrative form in like in a in a way that's not just about like entertainment. Like it's trying to figure out what's what are the possibilities of narrative form to do something else to do something political. It's interesting. Yeah, I've been really interested in that. Um... I mean, I've, I've been, that's the thing that's most interesting to me is you know playing with narrative form in, in yeah. un, unusual and unique ways. Um, just kind of a weird side note. I, I just it popped in my head what maybe what I should read next time we do one of these things. It's now my turn now to pick a book <laughs> that we're going to like both read. You know yeah. what I'm going to pick? I, I was thinking as you kind of were kind of connected to some of the stuff you've been talking about. I think I'm going to. I just got was looking the other day at this pile of books I've got. You know that sent to me and the one i really want to read that i don't have a reason to read at the moment mm. but maybe i'll like this will be my reason to read it uh, is ian williams uh, just put out a novel called reproduction okay and it looks just kind of flipping through it i really loved his poetry uh, bo- uh books that i've book that i've books that i've seen uh, which have been really kind of interesting in playing around formally um and this novel is uh looks really interesting uh, and like it's doing a lot of interesting odd formal things but I don't know because I haven't okay. re- read it yet um, but I'm going to pick that as like the book we're going to read uh, so this will be the teaser okay. you know so next time me and Ryan you know talk in one of these podcasts we'll be talking Ian Williams reproduction and seeing what we Great. think of that um, the, so, so but, but what w- let's do that next time but what, yeah, next what time. did you read this well, time around uh, the two that really Sorry, jump I'm out at me your, I'm interrupting your water like drinking yeah. so <laughs> the two that really i mean i read a bunch of different things of course but the two that really leaped out at me uh the most one is this graphic novel by emily carroll who did uh if you don't know emily carroll she's i forget where she's, she's from a small town in ontario if i recall correctly and she's a graphic she's an illustrator uh but also writes and illustrates her own work um and she's really uh probably to me the most interesting horror writer in canada right now and she's been doing these brilliant strange horror comic stories um and she has this brilliant book called through the woods which is one of the most interesting books i've seen for a long time uh in it's a book short stories uh but they're these horror comics and it's Mm. very kind of experimental and strange um really fascinating uh work uh and she also um anyway she just put out her first graphic novel which is a surreal this really surreal s- story that almost on one level is a vampire novel <laughs> about somebody who comes to this castle okay. to murder this vampire but another level is like a strange book about like on, on s- other levels it's about lesbian desire uh on another level okay. it's about uh, it's just a surreal set of like narrative developments. The visual style is fascinating. Um, they're going through this kind of labyrinthine castle maze, and the, she'll have like these two-page spreads that um, just are bizarre, like Escher-like, you know, spreads uh, with less of mathematical rigor, but with that kind of you know odd complexity and people moving from one space to another. Um, it's a weird fairy tale in another level. There's one moment in the book where 
um, again, this is a graphic novel, and this character go is asked basically asked what happened to the people that came here before me, and she's brought to this room, mm. and you know there's like these doors that look like caskets, and so she opens the door, and then as you turn the page, uh, so you're you know she opens the door, and you're turning the page you know, as if you're mm. opening a door as well, and then instead of then all of a sudden there's no images anymore, you're just presented with a two-page text story. Uh, okay. Which is the story of what ha- happened to this person? And then you turn the page, and you're back in you know graphic novel land. Like it's really a brilliantly book, brilliant book construction in a lot of okay. respects. And the story is you know fascinating and strange. And uh, you know her, her artwork is really lush and interesting. And it has um, again, it has a weird surreality to it on a certain level. Mm. And in other ways, it kind of reminds me almost of um, like manga uh stylistically in some ways and then as well it is um it's it's really minimalist in a weird it's lush and also kind of oddly minimalist like she only uses black white and red uh, in the whole book you know it's really uh, really fascinating work that she's doing uh anyway her name is emily carroll and the book this new book of hers is called um when i arrived at the castle um, it's just strange, and her other book is called Through the Woods. Now she's done a lot of other work, but um, those are the two kind of books she's written and illustrated herself. Um, okay. So I would really recommend both of them. But the one I read recently was—I don't know if it's out yet, but it's because uh, the publisher sent it to me. But it's called um, When I Arrived at the Castle. I think it just came out. And then the other book that I read is by uh, Coach House Books, um, which is uh, and it's a horror novel. Uh, this kind of weird experimental horror novel. Uh, it's very poetic and stylistically unusual. Um, and it's about, it's called The Laws of the Skies. And it is by okay. a French author. It's, so it's being published in translation. Uh, I'm going to try to interview this guy actually uh, because it, it's a fasting, it's a little tiny, like 150 ish page book. Um, and it is about. Uh, these children it's basically a slasher film in which all the victims almost all the victims are six-year-old children Uh, and it's like a bizarre like perverse disturbing like weird book it's brilliantly uh written and constructed and it has it's just doing some really fascinating and strange things that one i don't see um in a lot of novels uh, like a lot of really interesting odd things with the narrative voice but two um, in you know the horror genre you certainly don't s- my big complaint in horror uh, which is you know my favorite kind of genre in many ways is horror but my big complaint about the genre uh, of course it's mostly garbage like every other genre but my <laughs> biggest complaint is that <clears throat> you've got this narrative structure often where there's this kind of authorial detached narrator telling you about these horrible things that have happened and yet you know they're just you know telling you about it in a kind of plain straightforward manner i think that fundamentally like for a horror story to be interesting uh, and to convey horror it has to sort of break down on the narrative level in a certain way like yeah the way i like to explain is like if 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 it's so horrible what's happening like why is it so easy to to talk about it It should be hard to explain what's happening um and so i think this book has a really weird and interesting um approach Uh, and and again it's a he's a french novelist and so or a french writer and so um 
This is the only book. He's got other books, but this is the only one that has been translated into English, uh, is my understanding. And anyway, it's really interesting. And in France, they have a much different, um, uh, like historically, the French have a more, like they kind of view horror as a more literary genre than we mm. tend to view it in North America. Uh, and so I'm not sure how actually unusual this would be in French uh, the French context, but to look at it from as a, like a Canadian literature press, you know, putting out uh, a book like this is weirdly, uh, fascinatingly unusual. So anyway, yeah. I was really interested in those two books in particular. Uh, and then, of course, the other big book I really liked was uh, uh, Nicky Rammer's book. Uh, so Although I could shout out a couple other ones. You know, the, the, the three poetry books I've read recently that I like the most, uh, one where was Kayla, I don't know how to say her last name, Kayla Zaga's, Zaga. Zaga. Kayla yeah. Zaga's uh, Dunk Tank, which you already brought up. Natalie Capel's uh, Love in the Cthulhu Scene, which I, I okay. really enjoyed that book a lot. I haven't read that one yet. I'm hoping to. Will Second Wind put it out, and it's. Uh, I don't know if it's out yet again. I think it's just coming out now. Um, it's it's out. They have. Okay. I I just have bought it. They have it at the the Book City by my house. Okay. Yeah. So it's out, and then it exists. It's really good, and um, I mean, I'd seen it a version of it in draft, um, but it's much better than the draft I saw. <laughs> Not that it was bad or anything, but you know, you know how it is. Like it's it changes so much. Uh, she did a lot of work on that book, and and um, and then Nikki Reimer's. Uh, um, my heart is a rose of yeah. Manhattan. Uh, so maybe you yeah. can ease us into talking about that book. You picked that book. So why did you pick yeah. this book in the first place? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure because I hadn't read it when I picked it. I think like, like, uh, I loved her like, down. Part of part of it is part of it is Nikki's a friend, and part of it is I liked her previous two books, Sick and Downverse. And so I like I made a big assumption like, oh, this book will also be good. And will be worth talking about. And also, when we were when we were making the decision, Nikki was being really like uh, vocal on Twitter, like in a lot of ways. I don't want to dwell on this, but I do want to. I do. I do want to turn to Twitter just to like open. I saying, open the, "I wish I had written yeah. a marketable book," <laughs> and like yeah. tweeting things around, like you know, she now she's got to promote this book, and like realizing, oh shit, you know, how hard is it to promote a poetry book? You know, and then of course you know. Never mind, like, often people are conflicted about promoting poetry books, but never mind, like, just the realities of, you know, the weird marketplace slash lack of a marketplace that is poetry. Like, now when you're moving yeah. into, like, this weird position, I don't know if that's what you're meaning to talk about, but I I was very interested in her, like, um, tweeting around that, I don't know, a few months ago, whenever it was, when she was um, doing this. I, I don't know if that's what you're referring to or not. Well... Um, that's what I. That's what I'm referring to. It's not. It's not where I want us to start, though. I do sure. want us to start with Twitter. I've got these two tweets pulled up that um, that feel like places maybe to start discussing this book. Which I is think like, a lot of these book which is poem titles book. were tweets yeah. originally, were they not? Like because I, I know that the the poem I've got in front of me here is I feel is called I feel like I've reached peak Nikki Reimer. I'm certain yeah. that I saw that in a tweet. Um, it's possible. So, so like uh, a week and a bit ago, Kathy Park Hong, who's like a poet and academic in the States, tweeted out, tweeted out, and it has like, this has 14,000 likes and 230 retweets, so you can tell, and I think she was getting a lot of flack for this, but she tweeted out, 
I fear that difficult poetry is dying because of the way the internet popularizes certain kinds of poetry over others. So I, th I think this is a bit, maybe a bit melodramatic. I think dying is like, like the height, saying it's dying is the height of melodrama. Uh, difficult is a, is a difficult word to deal with. But I think like she's, she's gesturing it. There's something going on where there's like a middle that's like, where certain kinds of difficulty can be talked about and other kinds are kind of absent. And like, like I haven't entirely figured it out, which is why I'm bringing it up to talk about this. The other tweet was posted yesterday by uh, Natasha Ramutar, who's like one of the uh, Scarborough Lit 2.0 crew, along with Adrian DeLeon and Taya Mujoni, uh, who I'm hoping I pronounced her name right. Um, and she was at FOLD, the Festival of Literary Diversity, which uh, just happened in Hamilton. And she quotes this, or she tweets this quote from Vivek Sharaya, from a panel, presumably, uh, who says, uh, the self-depreciating self writer. We've seen that. It's boring. So, uh, Deprecating or depreciating? Depreciating. Oh, really? That's um, so interesting. I, partly I want to acknowledge this, is like out of, this quote is out of context, and I'm sure uh, um, Vivek Shirai is talking in terms of like probably a, gr a very diverse group where if you're self-depreciating, you're like lowering your own value as a writer. And to say that to a room full of writers of color is very different than to say it as a white writer. But I want to pull this out of context anyway, and I want to ask you if uh, the self-depreciating writer, if that's something we've seen and it's boring, is Nikki Reimer's The Heart is a Rose Manhattan boring? I think it's, I thought is it was a really bad, fun I feel book like that's a really in a weird way. So here's the thing that's interesting to me about that book fundamentally. So it's a book that in many respects is about uh, her trying and failing uh, to on yeah. a certain level to work through her grief around her brother's death. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's other stuff there's other stuff going on in that book, but like I, I would say on a fundamental level you've got that you know at the core that kind of traumatic experience in the background and they kind of you know like in many ways like the f inability to uh they get past this horrible thing, which, you know, yeah. uh, I, I think on one hand, she's engaging with the, this, I, this cultural idea that people have to somehow surmount their traumas uh, alongside the kind of um, culture, like just the, the personal, like the general difficulty of doing that. And yeah. what does it even mean to try to do that? When should that even be the goal of a person? Uh, I think there's all these like interesting things with grief bound up in that book. Uh, at the same time, you've, it's very funny, <laughs> and she's yeah. and you know it's very much that kind of self, um, uh, yeah, like self-deprecating. I like to do self-depreciating. That's an interesting um, way to kind of re re oh wait rejigger the idea. Well, I thought it was like, I thought you, it was like a weird pun, capitalistic pun on self-deprecating. <laughs> I no, like self we can, we can use we can use that. We can use my misreading of this tweet in an interesting way if you want. But I think it almost would, does work better to like say self depreciating because it's like a, a self deprecation that has this capitalistic, um, uh, like now has lowered your value, <laughs> like in a in this capitalistic system, particularly when now you're trying to sell a book yeah. or something. Um, and and uh, yeah. her previous work, I. If you go to people listening, if they go to writingtherongway.com, they'll find the um, 
you know, show notes for this episode where I'll just link to these books, you know, Ryan's mentioned and stuff. But uh, I'll also link to an essay I wrote, a sort of mini essay I wrote on Downverse, which is uh, Nikki's previous book. Uh, I don't really know Nikki much. Like, I've met her a few times and I like her, but I don't, like, know her as well as you do. Um, but I got, um, so a few years ago, I got Downverse assigned to me for review by Rhubarb Magazine. Um, and I thought it was a, one of the most interesting books I'd seen for a long time. And I wrote a pretty lengthy little kind of mini review of it, which I'll link to, like I say, at writingtherongway.com. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, one of the things I, I, I can't remember the review precisely, one of the things I remember thinking, I forget if I mentioned this in the review, but one of the things I was thinking when I was looking at that book was, it's interesting how much she's kind of engaging in um, the weird, the, like the kind of market politics around poetry and around uh, emotional commodification. Like, I like yeah. to say that one of the things that is difficult and interesting to think about with a poem is like historically poems are where you go where you put your emotions in order to transform them into a commodity in the marketplace mm. like but yet it's this weird like commodity nobody wants <laughs> and like that has no value but it has all this prestige value uh, so it's a yeah. weird sort of way i think twitter has in social media have kind of become poetic in that manner of there are also these places that you just like in a poem, you go to take your emotional uh, world and commodify it into something that has a prestige and a social value. Yeah, uh, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of actually positive, interesting things that come along with that. But there's also just like with poetry, there's also like this weird, like strange, dark, negative space side of it. And I think that it's just a very interesting. I think it's so interesting how her work engages just so fully to me with. Um, like deep emotional issues like grief these what we often think of as surface superficial things like you know what people are saying on social media or the kind of like temporary engagement people have in in a performativity like performing their emotions in this public way and like just what poetry historically is like yeah let me try let me try to resolve this so like uh uh, because i agree with you this is like in some ways a book about a book about uh, grief. Yeah, um, I really love how like she and, manages and, to do those sorts of weird tensions. I, I like poetry that sets yeah. those strange tensions in motion. But, like I do think I do think saying out loud that that this is a this is a book of poetry about grief, like reduces what the book is doing. So I want to I want to talk about it from a slightly different angle uh, that I hope resolves this kind of like tension that you're spotting between it's a book about grief, but also it's a book about like performance. Um, like by I've got this note. I made a bunch of notes when I reread this on the weekend, and in my notes I have this phrase: uh, "the texture of slangy dismissal." Uh, because as I was reading, as I was reading the book, the thing I was really struck by was not, "Hey, this is a book about how sad Nikki is." Um, I it's like this is a book about like the texture of that, like the social texture of the language of that. Um, to the point there's a whole suite of poems that are like engaged with Twitter on a material level by just ask, by getting a website to like remix her tweets. And like all the, po- the poems are just like the texture of it, right? It's not like, it's not the emotion of it, it's like the texture. So what I'm interested in in this like idea that like she's, she's not just engaging with grief, she's engaging with the 
the social texture of of the language of grief and the way that it it fits in these kind of like public public spaces or public private spaces of the, of uh, social media is that like it starts to build at a certain point a real dialectic between uh, caring and not caring, mm-hmm. uh, which is that like so it's like it's about grief, talking... but it's about grief. It's about grief talked through, like expressed through uh, self dismissal or like like what's the, it, that's the way the isn't that the way the book opens? I, I'm I'm not. I, I, you have to glance at the book there. I'm looking at the yeah. section "Letters to the Ethernet," which is what I think of when you, which where everyone we've got. She's got a sequence of poems. Each of them is titled like "Dear Facebook," "Dear Twitter," "Dear LinkedIn," yeah. "Dear Craigslist," and it goes on like this: "Dear Tumblr," "Dear Instagram," and then the last one is called "I Guess It's Time to Sign Up for Netflix." <laughs> and uh, they're really interesting poems in a lot of ways. But one of the things that's really on a simple level interesting to me is how they are apostrophes uh right yeah. like uh, so you're, there's you know this traditional poetic technique of writing to a absent uh entity um often an abstract entity uh and i think her work is really interesting insofar as it has an engagement with like a poetic tradition and like kind of you know conventional techniques in that way but then materially, yeah. she's doing some very unconventional things, you know, that have kind of become more conventional, like, you know, remixing thing, you know, text through the Internet and so on. Uh, but, you know, the, and then also having this, yeah, this interesting tension that you talk about uh, between this odd performativity and this, you know, kind of taking like like wanting to take seriously but also trying to not take seriously like one's own emotions yeah. it's really it's really, i just want to read a poem which i think is the the one that um is that to me is the most interesting poem i don't know how to say the one word in it because it but it's like looks like but anyway it's that poem i mentioned before i feel like i've reached peak nicky rhymer so i'm just going to read this poem because i i just want to give people like an example of what you're talking about what, uh, pa- it, what page is that it's on, on page 85 or? Or maybe I'll let you read it. Can you read it? I, I feel like I've reached peak Nikki Rhymer on page 85. Oh, sure. Read that poem. You know, let's give the Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh... Well, and this is, where the, this is where the book starts to get sincere at the end, right? Yeah, but it's got uh, some very funny stuff and strange. Like, like the ending of this poem is hilarious and odd. Okay, let me, let me read it. I will read it. I feel like I've reached peak Nikki Rhymer. Nothing matters. They're shooting people in the streets every day. This headache is my life now. I'll go blind before I turn off my Facebook. Look, I've reached mid-career, middle-aged, middle-income, middle-brow. This ego fatigue comes with the territory. You can tell I'm the poem speaker because I can't stop swallowing the line endings. I'm recording my poop on the Bristol scale and sending my data to a woman in Edmonton. In this manner, I will seek to live forever, my poetry inscribed like so much fecal coliform in the Glenmore Reservoir. People might think the anxiety can be turned on and off like a faucet, but the truth is it's hardwired into the mainframe of my body, every cell vibrating at a pitch likely to induce paralysis in certain flat-faced dogs. It's a prenatal fight-or-flight response. You don't choose the skuck's life. 
I dreamt you on a houseboat, but I don't want you to think it means anything. The skuck's life chooses you. We're all material until we aren't. Should the plane be making that sound? Analytics or didn't happen. Fitbit reports or didn't happen. Cell phone logs or didn't happen. More migraines, more flashbulbs, more protein, more fleshlights. <laughs> See, I think that poem's hilarious, but it also is probably the most sincere and darkest poem in the book on another level. Uh, you know, like it's a very interesting, or maybe the trigger warning is, but but it you know it's I I like poets who can take those uh, different strains, those different tensions, and hold them like against one another and not resolve anything. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think I don't know whether that makes it "quote unquote" difficult poetry or not, but certainly it's. Um, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's not like Instagram poetry. <laughs> you know, like it's got its. Well, it doesn't have that I, little tying it up. Uh, yeah, I think that's why. I think that's why I brought up that Kathy Park Hong tweet is because, like, I think one of the one of the things that was getting worked out very badly by people who were like uh getting a little defensive or knee jerky about what she had written was this tension that's inbuilt that in built into that word difficulty it's like by difficult do you mean like emotionally difficult or do you mean like like difficult to understand Mm -hmm. and i think this this book is doing both of those things at once uh, in that it is emotionally difficult and one of the reasons why it's sometimes difficult to understand or difficult to negotiate on like like a syntactic or a like like a semantic level is because it's also difficult emotionally like, i think in some the, ways though on like, the writer's side. but don't you think that like i, I agree with you uh, but i think that what people don't often understand about quote-unquote difficult writing is that yeah. it actually isn't that difficult. Like, for example, like, like you know, I've got a lot of anxiety issues, and every time she talks about anxiety, I know exactly what she's talking about. Um, but it is kind of like another language yeah. that other maybe, like, the average person doesn't understand or something. Uh, but, like, the jokes, uh, like, that, like, like, the jokes about it, um, or even, like, the fractured and fragmented um, discussions around, like, it. Like, I think there's a lot of ways in which... Um, "Quote unquote difficult writing, or whatever that means, it, it just often is just a diff, different type of speaking, and it is mm. only really for and like its audience is different. I think like the audience is just not um, as large in a certain sense in terms of like who you're speaking to." Yeah, uh, like this is a book that I think would probably make a lot more sense to somebody who had had like uh, a close family member die, uh, you know, just recently, for example, um, yeah. or who had like uh, like I don't know, you know, I don't want to like who had like some um, like obsessiveness and hatred of social media (laughs) you know like (laughs) you know what I mean like if you had those like weird tensions where you kind of on one hand feel like you should feel this way but then feel this other way and then at times though you know feel a third way and are kind of upset at the tension like I think there's this compulsion in the society or in the culture to uh 
to feel like you should feel a certain way and you should express your feelings a certain way. Mm. And I think like what she is getting at a lot of times in these poems, like is that, that idea. She's even got a poem where she, uh, I forget the exact name, but I'm trying to find, Oh, here a poem called ask yourself, what does the culture want <laughs> is on 67. It's like, <laughs> ask yourself, what can I do for the culture? Ask yourself, what does the culture need? Ask yourself, what does the culture know? <laughs> like it just goes on like this. And it's really interesting um, because on one hand, it's a, like she often will engage in this kind of marketing uh, language. Yeah. And um, and I think like there's this weird compulsion in society now to market, like to market yourself, even if you're not, mm. there's no reason to. You know what I mean? Like, like you have that weird rise of like personal branding and things like this. And like on one yeah. level, like that stuff kind of makes sense for a person who like, I don't know, like has a business connected to their image or whatever, yeah. but it doesn't make sense for a person who doesn't, but they're still doing it, you know? And I think like, it's so interesting how saturated we are with uh, marketing and advertising and have just accepted like various levels of it in our daily lives that we never would have accepted before. Yeah. Like I remember you're, you and I are both old enough <laughs> to remember like the nineties and being in high school. And like, it's like, you know, all the, you were, you know, it was, it wasn't cool to wear like a band, a t-shirt with a logo. It wasn't cool to like, you know, um, like a band that was on the radio. You know what I mean? Like it just is very <laughs> like the idea of selling out was like, it was, you know, bad sellout. Now you like, you, people, you know, now it's like rappers made selling out cool and like the whole culture shifted like with them in that sort of interesting way uh, and you know I think this is such a weird uh, set of pendulum swings that I've you know that I've seen at least since I just look at like high school when I was in high school and then high school when my like daughters in high school and I think yeah. like how different it is in so many ways one of the really simple ways is like now it's like you're expected to like have a presence in the culture even no matter who you are and you're almost like demonized for not like doing it yeah um, it's really interesting and odd i don't know but i anyway i, I think it's just kind of all bound up in uh the background of what she's trying to get at with you know some of those like I think there's like a distrust of your own emotions that I think mm. she she starts to express, and I think comes along with. Uh, I, I think it's just part of the culture today. Like you have that sort of weird, yeah, expectation to be performing your emotions all the time, which I don't yeah. I don't understand. Like I'm like a little old school in the way. Like I don't understand having an emotion online, and like like it doesn't make sense to me. I just am not that. I just have never understood like why a person would want to express their emotions like in that way. Um, yeah. But that's just like, I don't know what it, that is. Maybe it's growing up a small town in the nineties or who knows what it was, but like, it's just like a, it, it's very, I think there's like this weird, um, slipperiness now where it's like this, this is distrust of one's own emotions because you're so often asked to engage with your own emotions. Yeah, uh, and you can't always tell where where is this emotion coming from. Yeah, and I think you know, or, I think that's 
or or what what is causing me like it's not the am i getting not a the feedback that's wrong. looping in some way yeah it's, it's the it's the way you express it publicly there's some kind of like there's a there's conventions yeah right like it's just yeah. a denver the type of social convention but they're very new and they're very like recent they change a lot fast it's very it's very interesting like something that would be again i think of like something that is acceptable now versus like acceptable when i was younger not that i'm super i'm not even 40 yeah. yet but like you know i think how fast it's just gone 180 uh, yeah. and like how fast it just switches and changes and i think there's just a way in which i know like i'll f sometimes catch myself wondering like am i experiencing a real emotion here or is this like feedback from a pre from like an emotion <laughs> almost in like if you have like a if you're playing like guitar and you're too close to the microphone or something like you get this feedback you know uh, I always yeah. like wonder like it, how much of my emotions like are just this feedback where it's just I'm too close to something. If I stood over there, I wouldn't feel this way. And, and there's this weird like how much of it is just that cultural, like something you're just it's just bleeding into you from other people. You know, I know mirror yeah. neurons work that way, right? Like and, and there's this kind of interesting level at which I think she, I, she's engaged with a lot of these things in a way that I see other writers engaging in, but they're not as funny and they're not doing it as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they don't have, like, I think I like comedy in this kind of poetry. Kayla's book uh, does it well as also. Um, Kayla Jaga's book. Uh, I'm saying her first name because I can't remember her last how to pronounce her last name <laughs> I, I feel bad saying that but like i don't want to say her name wrong so i just would rather not say it but i feel bad saying kayla because i don't know her you know what i mean like anyway yeah um but anyhow it's uh it it also does that uh that thing where it's it can be very sincere but also very funny and and that tension i think is really useful and interesting because of course i don't know like to me like that's i think it i think like if you take the quote unquote difficulty away, like it, it is a normal thing people do. Like, you know, things are going horribly and they just start making jokes about it. You know, like, have you ever, yeah. like, I always, I read Nikki's Rammer's book and I think of all those times in my life where it's like something was so horrible that I, I, I just thought it was funny. Like I started to detach from my mm. own life and just laugh at my own predicament the way that I would laugh at somebody on TV because it was so unreal, like this ridiculous thing that was happening. It's like, it's it obviously, it can't, like it's so horrible that it's like, it's as if it's happening to somebody else and you can kind of like find it amusing <laughs> in a weird way. I don't know if, I, if you've ever like had that reaction, but I'll sometimes have that weird reaction where it's like something's going so wrong that I just am like, I, I kind of almost imagine myself as an outsider and thinking how funny it would be if it wasn't happening to yeah. me. Like if I was on TV, you know, how funny it would be. Cause just the ridiculous, like that ridiculously terrible, yeah. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I, I just find it, I think on that level, like her, her stuff's really, you know, quote unquote accessible and, you know, like easy to understand if you know what I mean. Okay, so the ver verdict is uh, Nikki Reimer's <laughs> book, not boring. Not boring. Yeah, it's the, it's the least. I don't understand when people say, say like, um, a book, like, is boring because of its subject matter. I mean, anything is boring if it's, poor, if it's poorly constructed. 
but it's not boring if it's well constructed like subject matter is not has no bearing to me on whether something's interesting or not don't you find like that's a general like like you can pick up a thriller and it's like I mean, it could be about anything. It's you know, good or not good. It's it's thrilling or not thrilling, like based on effects and techniques. Yeah, it's nothing to do with like what the book's about or the story's about. That's why I don't I don't care. Other than Game of Thrones, which I'm stringently avoiding hearing anything about, <laughs> uh, which is like the only show that I watch uh, because not that it's the best show or anything, but it's just like I can only watch like two shows. So I picked Game of Thrones and BoJack Horseman. Those are the two shows that okay. I watch. You, you heard you heard on last night's episode someone someone died right <laughs> i i've been trying not to hear that <laughs> yes exactly but I you mean, know that's like, you could you probably say that about any episode of game of thrones you can say that right? about every minute of game of thrones but uh someone is someone has just died someone has just died yeah but anyway um my point is simply uh, say that i was i was about to make the joke uh, you could say that about nikki reimer's book but uh, that seems like in really bad taste so i won't make that well, joke but it, it is it is a book that like has um, I don't, it, it I just think like it's it's another example of these these I mean I don't know what the reactions to the book have been like uh, has anybody reviewed it or talked about it you know in well, any detail you? I haven't been looking at other than me though um, I don't think I don't think it's gotten a lot of I don't think it's gotten a lot of attention but but I also mean, no poetry book like, does but. Yeah, but but I but I just um, when people complain about books like it, yeah, I'm often miss. They'll say things like, "Oh, well, you know, it's it's too hard to understand. It's too inaccessible. It's too boring." And I, I I've never understood that like point of view because I find like, well, often you know, often when people are saying that about the book, it's because it's unusual, which makes it by definition yeah. interesting. <laughs> like to me like an unusual thing is not boring yeah like i don't know no, i agree with you do you know what i mean like even if you don't like it um or think it sucks or something it's not boring yeah do you know what i mean i don't know well this this is us saying please go read nikki reimer's book yeah it's uh, and one then of the top three books tweet, i read tweet uh, poetry for sure in the last year and I've read 55 I've read over 20 poetry books and it's definitely in top three of those if not so so read it and then go go tweet at Nikki Reimer uh how you feel boring that no that her book is good Uh, don't be a jerk um Dude, here's another thing. Just I want maybe we'll just end up with this but also also I know Nikki Nikki is listening to this probably so hi Nikki (laughs) Well, hello, Nikki. I haven't seen Nikki for a while, but uh, I've I've only met her a few times. But she's really nice every time I see her. And um, yeah, I like Nikki because she talks highly of her dad, <laughs> and I like people who like have good relationships with their dads because I'm always like, I don't know, because just because I've got like a a daughter who's like uh, 19 now, and I'm always like, anytime like I see like a, a woman discussing like her dad in a positive way, I'm like, hey, like. <laughs> How could I be a better dad? <laughs> I like doing research. Give me in my some mind. tips. It's like, hey, this this girl likes your dad. I wonder what he's. Wonder what he's like. What is he doing? You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's very strange. You know, but anyway, I'm like always in the background, like trolling around for like, oh, what's uh, what's a good a thing good dads do? 
you know, I'll just add that to my list of things I should do, you know, if I can. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird, weird uh, way to look at social media, I guess. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, what's Nikki's uh, social media handle? We should tell uh, people that. I'll link to it, I guess, at writingtherongway.com. I'll find it and link to uh, it. No, just give me, give me, give me at, one second. Just, at Nikki Reimer. Okay. So at Nikki, which is N-I-K-K-I-R-E-I-M-E-R, uh, on the Twitters, uh, go tell Nikki that you are reading or you're going to read her book. Uh, do read it. The other book, she has two other books, uh, as I say, um, they're both good, but... Uh, Downverse is the one I would recommend other than this one um, just because it's um, which again I, I wrote I wrote you know at length about that book and so you can you know read that and that's why I would say to read the book <laughs> I'm not gonna go into like a bunch of details here but it but you know I just find her stuff is interesting it's very funny it's got a lot of like um, engagement with uh, really current um, cultural debates uh, but also um, yeah are very is very personal and very you know emotionally accessible in you know kind of more traditional ways and she has like a traditional like for all the surface oddness of the poems like there's a real like conventional traditional engagement with like the history of poetry like the title itself my heart is a rose manhattan and all the playing on gertrude stein's roses roses rose uh, it's, you know it's rose i think she does it four times i think like there's yeah. all these um really clear you know connections it also it makes me think a little bit of um how cena Cuerras, uh connects ha- has recently been connecting thing or connects a lot of her work to wolf and to um how did, well, how did I blank on one of the most famous poets in history, Brian? I just blanked on the name. One of the most famous female poets in history. Oh, Plath, Sylvia Plath. Sylvia Virginia. Plath. Yeah. Sylvia Plath and Virginia Woolf like, are all you know, in the background of Quaeris all the time. And you know, like, I think, um, anyway, we haven't really gone into too much, but um, Reimer's book really interestingly engages with uh, a lot of that same, with Stein and a lot of the same kind of... Uh, poetic tradition there um oh well and that and that's and that's true like it reminded me of um there's that poem in susan holbrook's uh joy is so exhausting that's like a collaborative poem with nicole markovich yeah and yeah that's like, when we put in doing, my poetry they're sex. doing this kind of like mm-hmm. like these steinian weirdo sentences but at each poem like is just like they're replacing words and translating it that way. And there are poems in this book that do that. So I think like on top of Stein, I think there's some like um, that Nikki's working like in in dialogue formally with poets like Nicole and Susan as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great book. Uh, definitely worth reading. Well, Ryan, um, any last words uh, about your reading? Or yeah, about I've, got, a, I've reading? got another book I'd like to talk sure. talk about at length. No, just kidding. Just kidding. These people don't want to listen to us talk anymore. These people have already... <laughs> Did they ever? Shout out, shout out to all three of our listeners, i.e. the three people that told Made me... Made to this that point. ...listened to the last one. That would be... Uh, More than three uh, people. I've got the stats somewhere. I'd have to look you, them up, but... 
Well, I believe that three people listened to it because they were able to like tell me what happened on the episode when I gave them <laughs> yeah. the quiz that I carry around. The you say show. you listened to it, but did you? It is a good. Uh, I, I I know how many people have had a machine play it, but whether they listened to it or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it could have so just maybe... been they said it, they had like the thing playing, you know, while they went to another room. They got yeah. bored and walked away or tuned it out. Um, so yeah, so next time we'll talk about Ian Williams' novel reproduction. Um, so get a hold of that somehow, Ryan. Uh, I'll see if they have it at the Book City by my house. Give it a shot. Or, uh, or you know, email by, the publisher and say you're going to talk books. about it on this podcast and maybe they'll send you one. You could always try that. See if it works. I'm curious. See how much flex yeah. I have in the publishing industry. You never they'll know. Go, they'll send. They'll send you one, and they'll then they'll go. <laughs> Ryan Fitz, who? Yeah, Ryan Fitz, who? Well, uh, I just had my computer just shut is shutting down for no apparent reason right now. So I'm gonna, like I'm gonna end the, the call. <laughs> Talk to you later, Ryan.